She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode seven. The Walk. So just a heads up, once again, the X-Files has made an episode that is discussing suicide and suicide attempts. So if that's not something you're interested in listening to, then maybe this episode is one you might want to skip. So, or come back when you feel like you're able to. This episode originally aired on Friday, November 10th, 1995. It was written by John Shivon and directed by Rob Bowman. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada and had a viewership of 15.91 million which is up just over 1 million from the last episode. And we did mention it last episode because of the similarities, but on Saturday, November 4th, 1995, between Too Shy and The Walk, Fox aired back-to-back reruns of Squeeze and Tombs at 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. respectively. So they kind of had like a little Saturday night Tombs movie night. Yeah, and they kind of picked up on the whole connection too, which is what we mentioned in Too Shy. Mm -hmm. yeah they're like hey this is similar let's reshow this one maybe it'll get more people in yeah good job fox yeah not Mulder, but just fox fox the network although good job fox Mulder too he probably doesn't hear that enough probably not he probably yeah yeah especially since like half more than half of his family is dead now so oh really (laughs) sad Yeah, two-thirds of his family is dead, so, yeah. Oh. Poor Mulder. Anyway. <laughs> so, in the walk, an officer at an army hospital who has attempted suicide many times claims he's always stopped by a phantom soldier who also killed his wife and kids in a house fire. Mulder and Scully realize another soldier had a similar misfortune and suspect something is going on and that the general is covering up for his men. But when the general becomes the next target, they must figure out who's doing these things and how to stop them. So then we open the episode and our little screen tag tells us Army Hospital Psychiatric Ward, Fort Evanston, Maryland. We see someone looking at like an administrative file and we see someone's finger moving down the page looking at the file. And then they look at like the photo of someone they're talking to. And then we cut to the person who's holding it, and that is Dr. Kissel. And he says, I've reviewed your service record, combat duty in Panama, distinguished service in the Gulf. And we see that he's speaking to Lieutenant Colonel Stans, who's in the bed and looks dehydrated. His lips are all chapped and like he's got like pink all around his eyes. He doesn't look healthy. We'll put it that way. And Kissel tells him that he believes the suicide attempts are just, and then Stans jumps in and is like, cries for help. And then Kissel says that Stans has tried and failed to kill himself three times in three weeks. And if he really wanted to, and Stan is like, you don't understand. He won't let me die. And Kissel's like, who? And Stan looks over at his reflection in an observation window. Like he's seeing something like in the like mirror or something. And Kissel follows his gaze and he gets up and tells him he'll be back in a moment with something to help Stan sleep. So after Dr. Kissel leaves, Stan gets out of bed and he walks down the hall and he goes into the hydrotherapy room and he bolts the door behind him. And then he turns up the temperature on the hydrotherapy bath and he fills it. And then he picks up some weights from like a little like workout area and puts them in the pocket of his hospital gown. 
And then he walked back over to the bath, which now is boiling. And through an observation window and a PA system, someone says, stand down, Lieutenant Colonel. And then the door unbolts itself because it's the X-Files. Doors tend to do that. And Stan yells, no, not this time. And he starts to climb in the bath. And then the fire alarm like smashes itself and busts open and goes off. And Stan yells, just let me go. But then a nurse bursts through the door and we see Stan jump into the bath and get submerged, right? Because he's in the water and got weights and stuff. And then we see a bunch of firemen rushing down the hall and into the room and they pull Stan's out and his skin is all red and blistered and like peeling away. It's gross kind of. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's dead, but then boom, his eyes pop open and he spits out some water and he's like, I told you, you won't let me die. And then it's the theme song. Yeah. So I don't know if this is like the most disturbing opening, but it's definitely one of the harder ones to watch. (laughs) It's not good. Anyway, Kissel not believing that Stans really wants to commit suicide is definitely a choice. Like, I know they're just trying to make it clear that he keeps doing it and failing. And so, like, that's the point of the scene. But given how doctors not believing patients, particularly marginalized patients, people with mental illness, fat people, and from what I've heard from friends who have served veterans, especially at the VA, that's like a huge problem is not being believed. So it's not great, but I mean, it is the plot. I mean, it's fine. It's just kind of one of those things. I mean, it's not the greatest way to like explain that he's, this has happened many times. Right. I mean, it's better than doing like a montage of him trying to do it. So. <laughs> yes, it is. No, I mean, it's much better. Like some much. Groundhog Day kind of montage or something. Yeah, don't um, need that. So, so, yeah. But Kissel is played by Daryl Hayes. He also played Webster in Shadows and he played one of the undercover agents who was tailing Scully in Little Green Men. We commented mm-hmm. on how they were really good. So, that was him. This is his last X-Files credit, but he will be in one episode of Millennium. And among other things, he had a recurring role on the commish. So he's been in a lot of things. Yeah, he told, as soon as I saw him, I was like, that dude looks familiar. And as soon as he talked, I was like, that dude is totally familiar. Yeah. And then when I saw your note that he was in Shadows, I was like, oh, yeah, because he's, remember when um, after Lauren Kite gets attacked the first time mm-hmm. and then they're looking at the body of the dude who's like he's been electrocuted and those two agents come in and uh-huh. were they cia or something or i can't remember i don't but know then they're yeah. like he's one of them that's webster okay and so i was like oh and like he talks exactly the same like he's like hiding something it's kind of funny mm-hmm. but so the water we're supposed to think the water is boiling or at least really they, hot i don't know if yeah they keep showing right? the thermostat which is like 198 which is not boiling water boils at 212 because we're talking fahrenheit here i think the implication is that is boiling but i also i imagine that would have some jets possibly if it's, if it's a therapy bath so it's probably like that too is making it do the stuff anyway i was kind of like dude a therapy bath wouldn't have a scale that goes from like 30 to 240 degrees fahrenheit no like yeah i mean like the pain you wouldn't need like it a, yeah no, like the pain threshold is like 106, 108. And then you can get third degree burns in like two seconds at 150. And like in five minutes, you can actually get third degree burns at like 120. Right. And then like, I I think more modern ones, you can't actually set them higher. Like your home hot water heater, they recommend for safety. You should have it like no more than like 130 or 140. Right. Beyond that, like it's not necessary. 
and yeah. you could really do some damage, especially like if you have kids or something. Yeah, actually, when um, you do home inspections and stuff, if you buy a house, I I just work in real estate, so I know like the inspector will go up to the thir- you know the thing and check like what your water set at and tell you like you should set it at this. Yeah, kind so of like thing. so like a physical therapy bath, I'm like, dude, it would probably not have like a, yeah. a thing that goes more than like 110, probably if even, if even that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just you know, obviously, it's for the drama of it because he can't just burn on himself. It has to be the most aggressive. That's the thing too. I was like, why do you need to burn yourself to death if you put weight? in your gown like i mean i guess the struggle to survive right so you're trying to do everything you can but yeah i don't know know. oh gross anyway then we're still at the army hospital at fort evanston maryland but it's three weeks later and stance is in his bed he's got bandages around his hands and his face is wrapped in this like plastic stuff to keep it you know secure because he's got really bad burns now so he's got like holes for his eyes mouth and nose but otherwise plastic shielding on his face and Mulder is there and he asks him about the accident and how at the time stans believes someone else was in the room and stans corrects that it was no accident and Mulder's like this person saved your life is that right and stans like i have no life he took it all away and Mulder asks if he knows who it is Stan says he never sees the man clearly, but he looks like a soldier and he's always standing at attention. And Mulder's like a GI and Stan's is like, or one of Saddam's boys come back to hold me accountable. But whoever it is, he knows Stan's name. So Scully has been writing something in her notepad and she hands it to Mulder. And she asks Stan's, what did he start taking away? And Stan says everything. And Mulder looks down at Scully's note, which says classic shell shock, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And Stans continues saying that he took his wife and children. And Scully's like, well, how did he do that? And he says he burned them alive. Now he makes me suffer because he won't let me die. And then Draper, a captain, opens the door and she's like, can I have a word with you to Mulder and Scully? So out in the hall, Captain Draper tells him that she's been asked to have them suspend whatever investigation they've begun here. And Mulder asks by whom? And she tells them General Callahan. Stan's commanding officer. Military protocol dictates all criminal investigation of military personnel be conducted through military channels. They're in breach of code. And Scully asks if Callahan has a superior officer. And Draper is confused. And Scully asks if they want to investigate Callahan, who would they go to? And Draper says that Callahan is a superior officer at that location. Scully says they'd like to speak to him. And Draper protests, saying that she doesn't know if he's available. But Scully insists and then says they'd like to complete their interview with Stan's. And then she kind of says, you never know when he's trying to kill himself again. And then Draper walks off. And as she does, she passes a guy sorting mail in a mail cart. who was kind of like watching and listening in. And then Mulder and Scully go back into Stan's room. Mm-hmm. So we get a little like mini cat fight between like Draper and Scully. A no. Bit. Like a little verbal one. I mean, women being assertive is not a cat fight. So I'm going to. I know. But no. what, what what made it to me was because. And this is something that bugged me a little bit. You, know, you guys know me. There are things that bug me, and I will just go on about them because they bug me. Like, I assume they probably thought it was expedient or whatever, but the whole, like, passing dismissive notes during an interview is, like, a really bad idea. And she looks dismissive when she's talking to Stans as well. So it's not like she's really hiding anything by passing Mulder a note. But that's just not good. I mean, they could have done. They could have had her say it, like, outside in the hallway before they go back in. Or just not at all, because then in this scene, like with her interaction with Draper, 
it seems more like she's just like, you're not going to tell me what to do kind of thing because she's already kind of come to a pre-conclusion that it's just like he has PTSD and this is not really anything. And so it just, just seems like, I don't know, like they didn't need to have that in there and then it just makes this seem, seem weird too. That's just me. I yeah. Know. I mean, I don't think, I think you're right. It was just for expediency, right? Cause like, you know, <laughs> that way they can have it in the same scene. And so we can see it because it's TV. And so we can't like hear Scully's yeah. thoughts. I just, just vis- even if we didn't know what the note said, it's just bad optics to be interviewing people and to write something down on a piece of paper, then hand it to your partner in front of the person that you're talking to, because like they yeah, have eyes, but I mean, they can see. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that big. Of it's a obviously deal. something you don't want to say out loud. So, I mean, this is not good optics, but yeah, it's just like I said. I don't. There's gonna be more stuff in here that I'm gonna be like, that's bad writing. That's bad direction. So, spoiler. <laughs> so anyway, so. Roach, who is the name of the guy with the mail cart, he watches Mulder and Scully go in, and then he turns his cart around, and he wheels it down the hall in the other direction. And he ends up in a room where there's like a support group of soldiers in wheelchairs. And one of them is talking about how he dreams about how he can walk again and pick up his baby girl and run with his son. And he can't help that maybe someday he'll walk again. And he is missing one leg. So he has one leg that's missing. And then another man, Leonard, laughs derisively and says don't hold your breath and then the counselor tells them they'd all be interested in his point of view and leonard says he's sick of them acting like they're all regular people like with their like you know basketball games and whatever like you know wheelchair basketball and that kind of stuff and he, he looked talks to the guy that was speaking earlier and he's like you're missing a leg i don't have any and then he kind of does this thing where like he looks at his legs like oh and then he looks at his arms like oh my god my arms are gone too and like you know because he's a quadruple amputee and the counselor says we all know how you feel leonard and leonard sneers and says you couldn't possibly know how i feel because the counselor is not missing any limbs and so he says he can only pray that he loses his arms and legs to get a taste of what it feels like and then leonard calls roach like get me out of here and so roach runs over and he wheels leonard away from the circle yeah and i mean that guy with one leg he can get a prosthetic he probably will be able to walk again it, you know I, I don't know what yeah, prosthetics he, were he like in the like 90s had but... the guy in the chair who was talking about i mean you know not to gauge this kind of stuff but like he had look like looks like he was maybe above the knee possibly but he had the majority of his thigh whereas leonard has like he's basically like got like shoulders and he's got hips yeah. and like the entire limbs are missing so yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's like, we shouldn't act like we're regular people. And the other guy's like, we are regular people. And Leonard's just like, oh. yeah, yeah, Leonard's yeah. very, very. Yeah, Leonard's got some, Leonard, Leonard's got some anger issues. Yeah, a little so, bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and Leonard could, I mean, I don't know what prosthetics were like in the 90s. I know they've come a long way, but they're yeah. definitely. I mean, yeah, he pro- he could, I mean, to what degree he would have mobility, but like he would still probably be able to have like some prosthetics, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, and the and guy if, with the if, one leg definitely could get a... Prosthetic. Well, and if nothing else, I mean, think about, like, you know, people who, like, maybe have limbs but can't use them, and they have the chairs that, like, you know, you can, like, move the head, you can do all kinds of stuff to control things, so... Yeah, yeah. oh, for sure. Well, They're and we'll learn in later scenes that Leonard has refused all physical therapy, all prosthetic fittings, all any kind of interventions or help that would help him 
gain yeah. mobility or live his life in any way, right? So like he's yeah. he's actively refusing that stuff. Yes. I guess the key thing is here is like I don't want to be ableist. Like I'm right, not, I know. I'm not, and neither is Tori. But at the same time, like we need to like emphasize the fact that Leonard is definitely like making degrees of disability. To Leonard, it's it's a degrees, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's got it yeah. worse. And also he's refusing any ways to help mitigate his situation or make it better in any way which yeah that's you know his prerogative but yeah so as roach wheels him down the hall leonard tells roach that he has like this freaking outlook on his face and he's like what's up and roach says it's nothing but leonard's like i spent two years serving with you i know when something's on your mind so roach tells him it's the fbi they're downstairs asking questions about the lieutenant colonel and Leonard tells him to hell with the feds. Just forget about them. And Roach is played by Willie Garson. He's best known for his role as Mozzie on White Collar, which it will surprise no one that I love White Collar. It's about a con artist who's forced to help the good guys catch other con artists. It's really good. And um, that Mozzie- sounds very similar to a show that <laughs> to, you to Leverage, about. which they just dropped <laughs> new episodes of Leverage this week. So yeah, oh man, I'm in I'm in con artist heaven. He also played Stanford Blatch on Sex in the City, which I've never seen that show, but he was a big role on that too, apparently. He has a whole host of other credits, and he'll actually appear on one more episode of The X-Files in a later season. He passed away really recently, actually, on September 21st of this year, and he was only 57 years old. So, And that would be 2021. Yes. So. Yeah. It's September 21st, 2021. So, so literally just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, it was recording all yeah. over Twitter because obviously like he was much beloved and, you know, like just, he was so great. Yeah. I <sighs> no idea even who he is. So yeah. Well, yeah. Just white collar. You, you might like white collar. I don't know. So you might get into it. Ironically, both White Collar and Leverage have like a really popular OT3, which I think is funny that they're con artist shows. Oh. And like, okay. yeah, anyway. So Draper lets Mulder and Scully into General Callahan's office. He tells them that he's reported them to the Justice Department for their gross misconduct here. And Mulder quips that, oh, I guess it's not a good time to thank you for seeing us. And Callahan's like, this won't go unaddressed. And Scully says that she hopes not, given the severity of Stan's case. And Callahan's like, there is no case. Stans is a very sick man. And Scully agrees, but she points out that Stan's file neglects any mention of the death of his wife and children in the house fire three months ago. And no mention if there was an arson or criminal investigation. Draper says Stans tried to save his family that night. And Mulder says that Stans told them he was prevented from saving them by some kind of phantom soldier. Callahan says that he's known Stans for a long time, and there's no doubt that he suffered greatly. And Scully asks, not unlike Staff Sergeant Aiklin? And Callahan says Aiklin served with him in the Gulf. And we learn that apparently Aiklin also lost his family in a house fire six months ago. He was treated at the hospital for delusional behavior, saying he wanted to die, but someone wouldn't let him. And Mulder says that Aiklin finally threw himself into a wood chipper on the hospital grounds, And it seems the coincidences and details have been strangely overlooked. And also throwing yourself into a wood chipper, like that's worse than like a boiling bath. So yikes. Yeah. And also like, like hospital patients who are obviously suffering from delusions are just allowed to like roam around and apparently get right next to a wood chipper. It doesn't seem great. 
No. So Callahan's like, well, just who's under suspicion here? And Scully's face pretty much says that Callahan is. And Callahan is like, these men are casualties of war. And Mulder kind of shakes his head vigorously while he's talking. And Callahan's just like, they can do little for these men now, but feel sorry for them. And Scully tells him that that's his conclusion, but she'd hoped he'd allowed them an opportunity to come to their own. And they all kind of stare at each other. And then Draper leads Mulder and Scully out of the office. When you say Mulder is shaking his head. Yes. Do you mean like as in no or as in yes? As in no. Like he looks like he's very opposed to everything that Callahan is saying. Like he doesn't. It's just it's not like super like just constantly shaking his head like a jerk. But he does like kind of shake his head like "Mm, not buying this. So, yeah. I just clarifying for this. (laughs) That's true. And Callahan is played by Thomas Kopech. He actually played Assistant Secretary of State Bob Slatterly on the West Wing. And he's been on episodes of Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Angel, Jessica Jones, and Boston Legal, among others. He also played Mozzie's friend on an episode of White Collar. So he worked with Willie Garson again on that episode. And he has this recurring role as just like he's credited as the cowboy on last week's night with John Oliver, where he does like fake PSAs and ads and stuff. I think there was like a PSA for like, I can't even remember, but it's like to get like Trump supporting, you know, like cowboy people to like listen to reason, I think when the election was going on. And so like, he's that cowboy and he's done like six or seven episodes on that show. So I thought that was funny. Yeah. And again, this scene kind of makes that note passing thing even more weird because obviously Scully knows something is going on and so it just seemed kind of strange well i think she knows that something's weird but i think she also thinks he's suffering from ptsd like she doesn't think there's a phantom soldier she thinks that's from ptsd Mm -hmm. but that someone is probably doing something i wonder if because it seems like i mean Mulder mentions that here in this statement but then later when he and scully are talking it sounds like he had not mentioned that to her at all yet so I'm wondering how much she knows why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Again, I just think that scene was probably unnecessary. Like it didn't need to exist. But So in the hydrotherapy room, Mulder is putting his hand like in the water of the bath, which apparently just leave standing water in the bath, which is probably not a good thing, but I guess maybe it takes a long time to fill up. I don't know. And he asks Scully if she thinks the general has something to hide. And Scully thinks that he has everything to hide. And Scully suspects that Callahan is protecting his men from the prosecution of the murder of their families. And Mulder asks why he'd do that. And as he's, as they're talking, Mulder's like going around the whole room, just like checking everything, like looking at the windows, looking at different stuff. He looks at the fire alarm thing that got smashed and has been replaced. So he's checking everything. And he's like, why would he do that? And then Scully says she doesn't know, but she can think of several good reasons. And Mulder posits that perhaps it's because they're his soldiers and he feels somewhat responsible for the tragedy that they played out. Mulder also says that Callahan might know deeper secrets about their madness because of the biological weapons they were exposed to during the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Mulder gets a little conspiracy. Yeah, so. no, he definitely has some <laughs> theories going about, about like what they yeah. might have been exposed to yeah. when they were in the Gulf. Yeah. Yeah. And Scully agrees that given the government's total disavowalment of Gulf War syndrome, it's a good reason to prevent their investigation because, you know, they're trying to hide it anyway. But Scully knows that Mulder isn't buying that argument either. And then, as I said, Mulder's been examining the fire alarm, and then he finally points to the lock on the door, 
and he says he doesn't understand why a man so determined to commit suicide would leave the door unsecured. Mm. Mm. Well, he didn't, right? Because we saw it. Like, right, but well, the nurse was able to get in, so they think that he did. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe Mulder thinks he didn't, and that's why it's yeah. spooky. Because Mulder is spooky. And Mulder so, is Mulder spooky. Knows, Mulder knows Aww. spooky. I love Mulder. You can, I mean, spooky doesn't have to be derogatory. No, I love spooky Mulder. I think it's great. Oh, okay. I love that he's oh, I, well because you're like aw, and I thought you were saying no. Play, it was like, like aw. It was like a cute aw, like aw. Oh, okay, that's my spooky Mulder. <laughs> that should be Aww. a T-shirt. Aw, that's my spooky Mulder. <laughs> Mulder. So Callahan is sitting in his office chair, and there's a knock at the door. And Draper enters and apologizes, and she basically says that she didn't mean to put him on the spot earlier. And he knows, and he says the whole situation is unfortunate. He tells her to go home and get some rest, and they'll deal with it in the morning. And he's like, relax, Captain. That's an order. So she salutes him, and she leaves. So Callahan gets up, and he pulls a bottle of whiskey out of a cabinet. And then he hears someone say, your time has come, killer. And he sees a shadow of a soldier in uniform, and he turns around to see that his door is wide open, but no one's there. So he, like, you know, goes and looks in the hall, but it's empty. And then his answering machine beeps, and a voice says something unintelligible. And Callahan hits stop and then unplugs the machine, but it keeps going. And the voice kind of repeats the unintelligible message until he pulls out the mini cassette, and then it finally stops. Ooh. Yeah. And then we're at the Fort Evanston officer's gym and it's 10.32 p.m. And we see Draper and she's in the locker room. So she like takes her hair out of a bun and starts to change her clothes. And then we see her at the swimming pool and she dives in. And she floats around on her back and her shadow's on the ceiling. And then suddenly a second shadow comes out of nowhere and grabs her. And she gasps. And then she like kind of like gets up and like stands in the pool and there's nothing there. So she kind of like looks around and there's like no one. And then she dunks her head underwater to see like if the person is maybe hiding under the water, but there's nothing there either. So she swims for the side and she's like starting to get out of the pool when something splashes up behind her and grabs her and it pulls her back into the water. And she struggles, but eventually she's pulled out. Yeah. And then it is commercial. Ooh, you know what commercials mean. Yeah, not good. So we come back from the commercial, and you know what happens at commercials? People die. And so in the pool area, Draper's body is floating in the water and then is pulled out. And Scully is bent over her corpse and it's already in a body bag by the side of the pool. And then a coroner comes over. As Scully's like looking at it, comes over and like zip. And Scully's got to like pull her fingers back before they get zipped up. And then they take the gurney and wheel it away. And then Scully walks over to Callahan and he says, they're saying Draper's death wasn't accidental. And Scully tells him there are bruises on her shoulders and her neck, roughly the size of finger marks. So it looks like she's been like strangled or something. Attacked. And yeah. Callahan realizes that this means someone drowned her. And Scully asks if he's contacted the family. And Callahan says that she had no family. Army was her family. And then Scully says that she's sorry for his loss. So then Mulder comes in and he's like, I spoke with security and other than Captain Draper, no one was seen entering the pool area last night. And Mulder asked if Callahan has a family of his own. And Callahan says he does. And Mulder tells him that given the pattern, his family might be in danger. 
Callahan is incredulous, but Mulder warns him to keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. And then Scully and Mulder are walking away, and Scully asks Mulder if he's serious. And he points out their security all over the base, and no one saw or heard anything. And Scully says that her screams would have been muffled underwater, but Mulder says it fits the profile of Stanza's phantom killer. And then Callahan comes over to them and asks Mulder like what he meant by anything out of the ordinary. And Mulder says any unusual or unexplained phenomena and what you expect is going to happen when Mulder says that mm-hmm. is that Callahan is going to be like get the hell right out of my face. <laughs> yes. but instead Callahan's like now that you mention it <laughs> and he tells him about the phantom soldier that he saw in his office and that his answer machine went haywire again and Mulder asks if it had happened before and Callahan says not seeing the soldier but he has gotten phone calls twice before at his home. Ooh. Yeah, I thought the scene was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, because you totally expect that Callahan's going to be like everyone else when Mulder says that kind of stuff. Right. Like, he's going to be like, mm, get the hell out of my face. Yeah, but, but no, actually, you know. he's like, actually, well, I think yeah. he's pretty spooked at this point. Like the first two soldiers, it was kind of like they're just suffering PTSD. And, well, and also they've been playing him as a hard ass. Right. And so you expect that when Mulder says like, any unexplained phenomena, right? Like that's like, you know, code word that he's going to be like, oh, you're one of those people. Get out of my base, right? So, but nope. Nope. Mm-mm-mm. Callahan has been haunted enough to be like, okay, actually, I have some things. Haunted. So then we're at the Callahan residence in Rosslyn, Virginia, and we see this mail carrier walk up to the home and he puts mail through the slot. And there's a kid on the floor in the living room and he sees the mail come through the slot. And so he calls out to his mom that the mail's here. And then he sees a shadow of a man kind of pop up from the pile of mail and he like screams for his mom. So like, you know, the guy came in the door, but he sees a shadow pop up and The shadow darts down the hall, so the kid keeps screaming, and the mom, who's Frances Callahan, runs down the stairs. And the kid's like, there's a man here. And she's like, who? And so she goes to the front door, and she opens it to, like, look out and kind of, like, looks outside to see if someone's on the porch or something. And behind her, we see Roach, like, is kind of back further in the house. Yeah, he's, like, ducking back into a hole or something. So Probably to find a back door, yeah. Yeah. So I had put in the notes that because we see the mailman put the mail through the slot. We see the mail come through the slot. But then when the kid's like, mom, the door looks like it's closed. But then when the mom comes down, the door looks like it's open. And I was just describing the scene, but Tori was like, what's because Roach came in. And I'm like, yeah, duh, I know that. (laughs) But the way they cut this scene though, they try to make it look like Roach is a shadow coming up from the mail. Yes. But then it's not, it's, he's a person, right? But they, the way they did it, and then like, when, could you kind of see him? And it's like, he just like appears out of the floor and then he gets up and run. And he's holding some of the mail too when he gets up and runs, which will make sense later. But then when they cut it, they show the doors open. So they're, they're trying to play it both ways, which I thought was kind of weird. Because they're trying to imply one thing, but then obviously like realizing they need to show the other thing too. It was another weird direction kind of thing that I saw. Mm-hmm. Who directed this, Rob Bowman? 
Rob Bowman, yeah. which he normally does a pretty, he has had some other weird stuff too, but he usually does a pretty good yeah. job. Yeah. I wonder how much so, of it is like script versus, I mean, obviously the director yeah. has plenty of say. I'm just curious, like what the script said versus yeah. like what he's But something like do. that, I think that's more of a direction thing because you could write it like, it looks like a specter comes out of the mail and be like, that I'm not going to, that's not right. Let's not do that. <laughs> so it was just weird. Yeah. It was a little weird. Yeah. So then we see Callahan pull up to his house and he's followed by Mulder and Scully in a separate vehicle, obviously. And um, they could carpool. Uh, I don't know why it's obvious. <laughs> well, no. then how are they going to leave? Callahan's going to drive him back to the base. Oh, true. Yeah. All right. Never mind. They can't carpool. <laughs> Trying to save resources here. Callahan's got a big old truck, too. Yeah, he anyway. does. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering about the towing capacity on that. I'm Driving like, oh. from the military base to his large suburban home. I need me a big old truck. I know. But maybe yeah. he has an RV that's in storage. Maybe. Probably not, but you know. <laughs> so then when they cut when they come in the door, Francis grabs him and tells them that she's been trying to reach him. That Trevor, their son, saw someone in the house a few minutes ago. And he's fine, but he's terrified. And that she is kind of like not feeling great herself and she's kind of shaking. And so Callahan nods to Mulder and Scully and it's like, they're with the FBI. And then, you know, just to kind of introduce them. And then he tells her to go up and check on Trevor. He'll be up in a moment. And she's like, what's happening? And he's like, just, you know, just go upstairs. It'll be, you know, just go yeah, check on Trevor. I got to say, like, I get this scene and I get their dynamic is not a dynamic of a relationship I would ever be in. But if I were in that situation and the FBI were in my house and my husband was like, just go upstairs and check on the kid. I'd be like, no, screw you. What the heck is happening? <laughs> But, but then also maybe there's a reason why you should go check on the kids. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I guess you're going to be split there, but yeah, their relationship. Yeah, is but also scary. we're going to see some scenes later here yeah. where we're, we realize that like, yeah, like you said, probably not the kind of relationships we would have. Yeah. So yeah. Or would want to have. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So Callahan walks them into his home office, Mulder and Scully that is, and he shows them the answering machine and they listen to the recording and Callahan tells him the phone doesn't even ring. It's just like the machine just turns on and beeps. And then there was a message. And at first he thought it was a prank. And then Scully is kind of like looking around his office. He's got photos on the wall and all kinds of stuff. And she stops at one where he seems to be like shaking hands with like a Saudi official or like, you know, someone like dressed like a, like a shake kind of thing. And then Scully, as she's looking, she sees someone running through the yard through the window. And so then Mulder and Scully and Callahan, they run outside. And they're like, I saw someone out here. I know I did. And then she apparently did see someone because then they find footprints in the sandbox in the backyard. And Mulder is like, you better call the police. So, yeah. The photo of Callahan and like the shake on the wall. It's like printed on like the probably the cheapest paper you can possibly buy. Probably like 20 pound paper. And it's like glued onto this backing to make it look like it's a fancy matted photo. But it's like, it's all like they focus on it because Scully's looking at it. But then as she's looking at it, you can see like it's all bubbled how they didn't glue it and like flatten it properly and everything. It just it looks it's like, good job, guys. <laughs> like if it was one of the background ones that you don't look at, that's fine. But like for the one you're going to focus on for the camera, like maybe do a better job. Come on. You can see it like look, they had a lot the of corners and stuff. Footprints to put in the sandbox. I guess they were, they were busy. I guess that's all, you're all. Every time I say like they didn't do a good job on on a prop, you're like, 
they were busy. <laughs> they had a lot of props. I maybe mean, prop need, people work hard. Maybe they need maybe they need more <laughs> prop people then, okay? Because it seems to hire be me thing. X-Files anyway. in the past. I was 13, yeah. so it just because this one they do unlike the other things, you're like, oh, I know they do. They're not, they're not gonna free no one's gonna freeze frame on that. It's like that right. one they, they focus on it. You're like, they oh, do. That's all, that's all bubbly and it's not actually on a mat, it's actually just stuck on a piece of cardboard. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it's not the greatest photo, that's for sure. You could have at least processed an actual photo and like glued it on instead of just like printing it with your inkjet printer on like <laughs> some crappy paper. <laughs> it was like last minute. They're like, oh shit, we need a photo for her to look at. <laughs> someone print something out. <laughs> We're not just going to paste his face on someone else shaking hands with a real person like we've done before. Anyway. So then we're back at the army hospital and Rappo, Leonard is Rappo, right? Rappo might be his like, like kind of like how Roach is like a it's nickname. His nickname. Yeah, I think Rappo is a nickname too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. So like Leonard and Rappo are the same person. Rappo is what he's called. Right. So back at the army hospital, Rappo is getting his blood drawn and Roach waits for the nurses to leave. And then he goes up to Rappo and he shows him the mail from Callahan's house. And Roach tells him it was a close call and he's not doing this anymore. And Rappo's like, this isn't about us. It's about the injured soldiers and the boys who came home in a box. And then he's like, the enemy must be defeated. You're going to do your part and I'm going to do mine. And then Rappo looks down at his arm and he sees there's like blood dripping from his IV line or something or liquid coming out of it. And so he calls for the nurse and then he turns back to Roach and he's like, what do you do when I wrap on the tank? And Roach says, Get some, get some, fire at will. And Rappo's like satisfied that Roach is still in now because that's like their military callback thing. And then the nurse comes over to Rappo and she like chastises him for not sitting still. And another nurse wheels stands into the room and stands kind of stares at Rappo and Rappo looks away. Yeah. So then we're back at Callahan's home and the place has got soldiers, right? So he's like, He's got protection, but it's military protection, not like police protection. So Scully walks into Callahan's office where Mulder is replaying the voicemail and like trying to like, I think he's trying to transcribe it or something. He's like writing down stuff on a pad. Yeah, he's trying to figure out what it says because it's really unintelligible. Yeah. In fact, I thought they were going to go like to an audio specialist at some point, but they never do. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I looked at the transcript just to see like what the transcript says. And it said something like fox uh, something of, of something fox it was in my dreams or something yeah something weird and i was like it doesn't sound like that to me like it's just totally unintelligible to me like i can't make anything out and we'll kind of figure out why later but i just well yeah. and it's one of those kind of things too where it kind of shows that priming thing where you can hear stuff because we're going to get into like you said we're going to get into that because when i listened to it i couldn't understand what it said and then i was like oh i wonder if the transcript says what it says and so i went and looked at the transcript and the transcript said what you said, like Fox in my dreams or something like that. Right. And so then I went back and listened to it again and you could kind of hear what it said uh -huh. just because you're primed to hear it. Right. So, yeah. But actually, I think it's just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah. Or something else that we may discover. Yeah, later. we may learn later what it is, although whether or not that's actually correlated to what's on the actual what we're hearing in the episode is a yeah. different question. Or even needs to be in the episode. Oh, I think it's I think it's fine. I like it, but okay. It's it, I I don't know. It's it's another one of those. Well, we'll get into that. We're so ourselves, yeah, yeah. So Scully tells Mulder that whoever broke in left fingerprints as well as footprints because they got two matching indexes and a thumb on the mailbox and on the front door, 
and then on the other door leading to the backyard. So no gloves, not smart. So Mulder <laughs> asks if they should go run them, but she says they're already on their way to the NCIC as they speak. And that is the National Crime Information Center, NCIC. Then we see this like SWAT team group kind of, it looks like soldiers, but it might be SWAT. Sometimes yeah, it's, hard it's kind to tell. of hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so, way more hard to tell than it used to be, and that's not mm -hmm. a good thing. Anyway, and so they're running up the stairs in an apartment building, and Mulder and Scully are with them, and they bang on this door, and Scully's like, FBI, open the door! And then Mulder bursts through the door, and then Roach is on the couch when they arrive, but he jumps up, and he's like, whoa! And they're like, hands in the air, hands in the air! So he like, puts his hand up, though, although he keeps moving and like backs up all the way like into the kitchen. And then they cuff him, and then Scully's reading him his rights as they walk out the door, and then Mulder kind of remains behind in the kitchen. The kitchen is nasty. Oh, looking. it's so gross. He so like gross. lives up to his nickname, apparently. And I wonder if that's why they call him Roach. Anyway, he opens a drawer. It's got some mail in it, but it also has got a lot of ants in it that are just crawling around. And Mulder picks up some of the mail and shakes off the ants. And then Scully comes back and Mulder shows her the mail. And it's mail for Draper and Stans and Aiklin and Callahan all of the victims and scully's like we got him Mulder." and <laughs> yay mm, so that was this episode I glad they caught the bad guy <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i mean not that he's not involved but i don't know what they got him. yeah i mean so. it definitely looks like they did but i think that's going to yeah. be proven incorrect here in a minute yeah. so speaking of then we're back at the callahan home and we see this like big pile of sand in the sandbox and then we see Trevor is playing with his toy soldiers. And so he's got that like. That is a deep sandbox that kid has. He dug yeah. a freaking trench in that yeah, sandbox. I mean, it's pretty impressive. And so, like, he's basically pretending like the sand heap is like the side of a mountain. And so he has like his soldiers and his little toy helicopter. And then a shadow moves over him. And Trevor turns and he sees a soldier. And the soldier's like, Watch your left flank there. And he's like smiling at him and kind of pointing at a spot that he missed. Like there's no soldier or something. And so like Trevor's like, yeah, okay. You know, like smiles or whatever. And so the soldier goes and walks a little bit away and kind of goes around the side of the house to smoke a cigarette. And then something moves under the sand pile and it knocks the toy soldiers like off the sand. So Trevor bends down to pick up the toys that fell and something comes up out of the sand and like just like bursts out of the sand and then the soldier who's smoking looks back and he kind of notices trevor's gone so he calls for him and trevor doesn't answer and then he runs for the sandbox and he sees trevor's hand is like sticking out of the sand so then he like starts trying to dig him out and then it's and it's a commercial, commercial. Dun, dun, dun. yeah so <laughs> apparently for this scene they had a crew member who had to like sit under the sand pile and like burst out of it to like get that effect. And then they added some CGI in later. So I don't know how they picked who had to do that, but that is apparently how they did that. Mm. Get sand in your chonies. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. So I'm, I am wondering, you know me, right? Like did the, did they, did they snap the kid's neck? Did they stuff his throat with sand? Cause he wasn't buried. Like the soldiers like smoking. And I think he actually hears something and then turns and like, doesn't see, cause you could, the hole that Trevor dug is so deep, like he's sitting in the sandbox and you can barely see the top of his head over the edge of the sandbox. This is a deep sandbox, but he looks over and like he doesn't see Trevor's head. So then he runs over. Right. And then he sees that Trevor's like buried, but like, he wasn't buried for that long. So, like, yeah, 
I mean, I don't think we'll find out how he dies. And I think it's partially because they don't want to go into it. But I also, because of what happens in the next episode with standards and practices, I'm wondering if maybe they didn't want them to go into details about how the kid's dead. So they just wanted to show like, he's here, now he's buried. And we just don't want to show child death. I am a super innocent as far as next episode goes. I know nothing except for the Well, standards and practices just had some notes about how they Apparently now Tori spilled some beans earlier before it recorded that it involved someone being locked in a basement. So... But next episode is yet trying to keep the um, blinders on for this episode but anyway i think maybe that might have been it too where they're like we're, you can kill the kid but we're not going into any detail about okay, it it's, it's just like because he's like buried and so you're like well yeah he, i mean you could obviously suffocate if you were buried yeah hand, but and we don't ever actually like, get to know and i don't i mean it's not super important to the story but i get why you'd be curious because you're like yeah. well, how did he die because i'm morbid how did you kill and, the kid i don't want to know they're, uh, yeah i don't think we're gonna find out so okay so then Scully is interrogating Roach and tells them they have evidence to place him at two of the crime scenes. In addition to accessory to murder, he's looking at charges for conspiracy, breaking and entering, and commission of a felony on federal property. And Roach asks for a cigarette. And Mulder's like, no. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> so great. and then they know he had an accomplice and wasn't acting alone. And they know that because obviously they already got him and then Trevor gets killed afterwards, right? Right. And so Mulder asked him how the accomplice did it. And Roach is like, I don't know. And Mulder asks, how did he get past the guard? How did he kill him? Trevor was only eight years old. And Roach is like, I swear I don't know anything about him. I didn't kill anybody. I'm just the mailman. And Mulder's like, what do you mean you're just the mailman? And he tells him, I'm Rappo's mailman. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Willie Garson's mm. so good and the exchange with Mulder like can I have a cigarette he's just like no it's just so good. oh god so then there's a nurse who's walking with Mulder and Scully down a hall and she's like Leonard Trimble right and Scully's like is that who you guys call Rappo and the nurse confirms that it is and asks what he's done and Scully says he's a subject in two homicides and the nurse is like he must be making a mistake and Scully's like how's that and then they reach the room and the nurse gestures for them to look through the window and Mulder and Scully see that he's a quadruple amputee. And then the nurse leaves and Scully cusses. She's like, damn it. I think, did she say damn it? I don't remember what she says, but she definitely makes like a little, like she's swearing. Like, I can't remember if we even hear it. Yeah. But she definitely so is maybe not she happy. Does, yeah. So maybe she doesn't actually say damn it, but she definitely is like, mm, mm, mm. anyway. Yeah. And so she thinks that Roach lied to them and Mulder's still like, what did he mean by the mailman? And Scully doesn't know, but she says, I'll add it to the list because she's going to go ask him some more questions. And Mulder kind of watches Rappo sleep through the window and then he leaves. But inside the room, we see Rappo laying on his bed and he's not really sleeping. I mean, like his eyelids are like super fluttering as if he's in like REM sleep, which actually just be like his eyeballs moving, not really his eyelids fluttering. But it seems more like he's in a trance. Like maybe he's, Ooh. I don't know, astral projecting <gasps> or something. Yeah, I don't know. But then in his cell, Roach is not happy at all. He is panicking and throwing a fit and banging on the doors and on the walls and shouting, he knows this place. He's been here before. He knows this place. And he's banging on the door and he's shouting that he's not safe. And the guard outside tells him to keep it down. Roach keeps screaming that he's a dead man and that he's going to kill me. He's banging and banging and banging and demanding to be left out. And the guard opens a little slide on the window of the cell door and says, I'm not going to tell you again. And then the guard closes it 
And he goes down the hall and then closes the doors and basically just leaves. And Roach is left screaming in the hall. Well, not in the hall, but like you can hear him in the hall to the door. And that's super awesome protocol to just abandon some dude screaming in his room. So, yeah, especially because we'll find out that you kind of left some implements that could result in death in his room. Just left him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's the same soldier. Who's walking Scully down the hall? I'm I think it is. Sure. I think he's bringing him back. I think that's that's probably his wing, right? He's supposed to be watching these people. Yeah. So. And he's telling her not to get Roach worked up again because he was pretty worked up an hour ago. And he was like screaming and begging for his life. It's a little more than worked up. But anyway, he like knocks on the door and there's no response. And he opens the window to Roach's cell. And he's like, you have a visitor. And then we see Roach is crumpled in the corner of the cell. And he's kind of like turned to the side. And we can kind of see the sheet is like in his mouth. And so he unlocks the door and rushes inside and Scully pulls out her phone and like dials to call for help. And then at first he's all like on your feet. Cause he sees him laying down. He thinks he's mm-hmm. just laying there. So, yeah. yeah. And then later we see two men rolling a gurney with a body bag out of the cell and Scully follows. So she was in there and Mulder arrives and he asks how it happened. And Scully tells him it was suffocation. The bed sheet was stuffed down his throat. And Mulder asks if anyone was in the cell with him. But Scully says he did it all by himself. And Mulder's like, no, not likely. Mulder thinks Rappo killed him. And Scully doesn't see how that's possible. And Mulder pulls out... (laughs) This part is so weird to me. But anyway, Mulder pulls out a small dental x-ray. It is weird. It's it's weird. (laughs) So apparently he's been carrying around dental x-ray plates for some reason. We didn't mention it, but when 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 they're interviewing stands the very first time he has this little like white square of something between his fingers and he's like sliding it all across like the bed rails and as he's walking around just kind of like dragging it along stuff you're like what is he doing yeah so he has had them the whole time but it's just a little weird but he holds it up to the light to show her and he's like i've been carrying them in different places stan's room the pool area callahan's house all of them were exposed to some kind of radiation because like they're the little dental x-ray plate. So they, you know, obviously expose something. So there had to be radiation involved. Yeah. Cause Scully thinks it's the same one these had the whole time. And he's like, no, I've got a, like a whole deck. Of he's a whole set. He's, <laughs> I'm sure Mulder and Stennis loves him very much. Can yeah. I have some x-ray plates? And, um, they, uh, and they all just look like weird lines on an x-ray. Yeah. They're not right. really. Because they're not a real picture of anything. They're just like got exposed because they were exposed to radiation. They're psychic energy. And so Mulder pulls her aside and he tells her that he believes the radiation is from Stan's phantom soldier. He thinks what Stan's is saying might be true and that this might be a case of astral projection. And Scully basically clarifies that he's saying Rappo is leaving his body and committing murder. And Mulder tells her that practitioners of astral projection claim that during a hypnotic trance, the astral body can actually detach itself and float virtually anywhere, sometimes invisible, sometimes appearing as an apparition. They even claim that the astral body has psychokinetic abilities. And Scully asks if that's the case, why would he need Roach's help? And Mulder suggests that maybe he needs a psychic connection to a place, like an object from the location, such as a piece of mail. (gasps) And then Mulder pulls out a tape recorder and he asks if she knows anything about backwards masking. And he plays the audio from Callahan's answering machine and, you know, still nonsense. But then he plays it backwards and it says, your time has come, killer. Yeah. 
that's where like this is just a weird addition to the whole like i'm astral projecting but then i'm also like back masking like well threats to people like so if you're into like ghost hunting stuff that is like a thing that apparently spirits do is like if you like record when you're like on a ghost hunt you will get these things on tape that sometimes if you i thought play that's them just what the devil did on rock albums no it's like a thing in like paranormal ghost hunting circles which i'm not part of but i'm very fascinated by and i, I won't i'll go on a ghost tour or two like i have no problem with that but like yeah, that is a thing that can be connected to like spirits and ghosts so i think it makes sense that it's in the episode like it does like if he's in an astral body then he's leaving these messages like backwards that does kind of track together Hmm. It's weird. It is. I mean, the whole thing is weird. I think the x-ray thing is a little weirder, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, they're both weird. It's but all kind of weird. Like the extra the thing I can see because, like, you know, psychic energy from, like, the astral projection, the back masking is just kind of like, what? Like, uh, like he couldn't find any Led Zeppelin albums, so he had to, like, make voice messages on <laughs> someone's answering machine. Like, okay. But yeah, I don't know. It just it just seemed like it's, it's that kind of the X Files. Like we're gonna throw everything at this. Boom, boom. You get all the powers and everything. Yeah. Well, so. it is something that like ghosts are quote unquote known to do. So I think it does fit in the okay. the realm of things. But it is again throwing everything that a spirit could do at it. Right. Like. Okay. But yeah, because I I know I I admit like my aside from like Ghostbusters like my modern ghost hunting kind of knowledge is not strong because i'm like you guys are just ridiculous yeah i mean i, know, I can't watch ghost hunters or anything yeah, that stuff makes I know, me crazy but i'm kind of more into like the spiritualism kind of thing like the rapping and you know the fox sisters and all that kind of stuff it's like the modern stuff of like i did not know that that was a thing that ghost hunters apparently do i know mm-hmm. all about like the the lights on film and like you know emf readings and that kind of stuff but i had not heard about the back masking yeah that's ghosts. that's a thing Okay. And also just leaving messages on tape that you can't hear with they your human went, ear. <laughs> I thought that just went boom. Haunted Isle. Anyway. <laughs> Those aren't ghosts. Those are people <laughs> trying to <laughs> scare people Shh, away from their stuff. You're telling you're tell, you're giving away secrets. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So anyway, so then we see Rappo is in bed watching television and Mulder and Scully come in. To ask him a few questions about Quentin Roach Feely. Kind of like, what about him? And they're like, he's dead. And Rappo says it serves him right. Roach was the guy that got Rappo's arms and legs blown off. And so Mulder tells them they've read his file and they know he's refused all rehabilitation efforts and prosthetics. And Rappo says he doesn't want any of that crap. And Mulder says it's because he doesn't need any of it and accuses him of astral projecting and being able to kill anyone he wants to. And Rappo looks at Scully and says, if I could leave my body right now, I could think of something else I'd rather do. Yeah. Gross, dude. Gross. Yeah. Like, oh, what's his name in uh, Excelsis Day? So. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Okay. Let's yeah. Not, I don't even want to think about that. Let's I mean, this on. episode is basically Excelsis Day in a military base. But anyway, <laughs> Boulder sits on the bed and gets in his face and accuses him of killing Trevor and the others. Boulder's really like, you killed the kid, dude. Mulder, that, that, that's a thing for Mulder, apparently. No, it's a line, man. Yeah, it's a line. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells him he knew the risks when he enlisted. And why does he want to blame his COs? And Rappo says he blames him for what happened to all of them, for all the grunts. And he tells Mulder that he doesn't know what it was like. You just sat at home and watched the war on TV like it was a video game. 
he doesn't know about the guys who died, the blood in the sand, and what it feels like. It's like America got their crude oil, and LC got prize medals. What did Rappo get? They took my life away, he says. And he's like, and so you took theirs? And he's like, if I only could. And then he tells Mulder he's done, and he'd like to get some shut-eye. And Mulder's like, no sleepwalking. <laughs> and then Rappo's kind of like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I agree with Mulder. Like, it wasn't a draft, dude. Like, you chose to go in the military. I mean, I admit that, like, for some people, the military is kind of the only option mm-hmm. because we have, like, zero social care in this country. Mm-hmm. Probably not by accident. No. Nope. And that for a lot of, like, poor people and, and immigrants, you don't have to be a citizen to join the military, apparently, in the United States. I'm not getting that vibe from Rappo, though. Like, I don't think no. he was, like, forced to join because he had no other options. So... And he also, I mean, he's killing people, but he also just killed his friend, which I get that he was like, I don't know. I mean, and then he's like, yeah, he's the reason I don't have limbs. Well, dude, like, you know, maybe take some responsibility and get some prosthetics and start working on like, you know, making your life into something instead of being angry. I mean, I get it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying that you can't be angry about that. I just think the way he's written is very much like. I'm determined to like crap on everybody and make this my personal vendetta, which is the point of him, right? Like it's his personal yeah. vendetta. It's a little bit almost like DPO, especially with the killing your buddy who like knows your secret. Which yeah. I guess, you know, if he knows your secret, you got to kill him. Right. Cause he knows your secret. He's going to knock you out. But yeah. But he's also like at the support group, like laughing at everyone and being, a, you know what I mean? Like he's just being yeah. kind of a general jerk to everybody. So it's not like he's really supportive of other soldiers. <laughs> like, no, he's, he's definitely. And, you know, I mean, again, neither of us are missing limbs or anything like that. No, but he's definitely got a lot of that, like poor me kind of thing going right, on. Right. Which, you know, like, I mean, at a certain level, yes, that is a thing that happens when you have it can totally happen but there's definitely a point where it's like okay (laughs) but you don't get to kill other people because of it yeah and also if you blame people that's the one thing i've never really got like i could see like i can agree sometimes with like wanting vengeance if oh for sure something but then you take vengeance on the person who is guilty you don't take vengeance on the people around them to make them feel your pain like, that's not because you're taking innocent lives. Like, right. Well, I mean, he killed, you know, kids, wives, you know, like the little yeah, kid people ever, who had nothing like, to do. Like if the people that he's that he's supposedly like, you know, tormenting really are guilty, then he's not he's yeah, maybe he's making their lives rough, but he's also like taking away innocent people. They had nothing to do with something even if they are even if they were actually guilty of doing that yeah so. and i'm not going to get into the ethics of the military because that isn't a way out of my lane like no i'm i mean i'm, just saying, I'm not <laughs> yeah. a fan of the military but like it's so, kind of um, it's kind of like the list right like where he killed that lawyer guy and we're both like well come on that guy probably didn't deserve it <laughs> like otherwise yeah. i see your point but like that guy was just doing his best like you know so yeah it's very easy to say like that's a good one and that's a bad one when you're like watching TV and like know all the oh, facts. Oh, for sure. Obviously, life. these in aren't real, real people. In, in, real, yeah. in real life, you don't know all the facts, so you can't really. Do well, that. obviously, and yeah, and I mean, I don't. Yeah. These aren't real people. Obviously, I don't think no. you should really ever murder anybody. I don't think that's a solution. But yeah, or torture them, or astral project and do evil things. If you're gonna astral project, do good things. Like, come on. Yeah. Anyway.
So then Rappo's like, I get some sleep. And then Mulder makes his little no sleepwalking comment. And Rappo's like, oh, yeah, I never heard that one. And so Mulder and Scully leave. And then Scully asks Mulder what they should do. And Mulder says they need to call General Callahan and warn him to stay out of his house. So then at Callahan's house, Francis Callahan is like in the living room and she's putting Trevor's toy soldiers into a box. And Callahan comes downstairs and he sits next to her and he's like, we can handle this. And she's like, I don't want to handle it. I want my son back. And she kind of gets up and walks away. And we see Callahan sitting on the couch and he kind of is like near tears. And then in another room, we see Francis is like standing like with the box and she's crying. So, yeah, Yeah. not good. She's in his office crying. And we didn't see this in the previous scene, but he has like an a lamp with like ivory tusks on it, which is gross. I guess it's like I'm a military dude, right? I got to do all that like imperial shit. But whatever. So <laughs> I was like, oh, gross tusks. No, no, no. Yeah, anyway. I didn't even notice that. I'm kind of glad. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. It's like this gilded like lamp thing. So like there's like three like the tips of tusks. So maybe like, mm. yeah, maybe like not 12 inches but pretty close like somewhere between like eight and ten inches probably like long and they're like three of them and they're like you know wrapped and then they got like the like you see like in cartoons a lot with like the elephants who have like the little gold balls on the end of their tusks so it's got okay. like that kind of decoration on the tusk and then it's like this gold lamp fancy thing but it's all it's all like oh tusks gross yeah you but, yeah. so Callahan pours himself a drink and then he sees a reflection of a soldier, Rappo, in the mirror. And he sees bloody footprints that are heading down the hall. And so he calls for his wife. And then he goes into his office and he finds her body on the floor and he sees some blood. So his phone rings and he reaches over to the desk. But instead of grabbing the phone, he grabs his gun. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Mulder and Scully are driving. Well, Mulder's driving and Scully is trying to call Callahan. But the machine's not picking up. So, like, they're not even able to leave a message. And then we're at the hospital and we see Callahan and he enters Stan's room and he pulls up the gun (gasps) and he tells Stan's that he was right. He won't let him die. He killed their wives and their children, but he won't let them die. And then Callahan brings the gun up to his own head and he fires, but it just clicks. So, like, he can't. It's not working. And Stans is like, I know who he is. And then we get a commercial. Ooh. Yeah, and it's obviously an automatic weapon, so like he clicks it several times. So it's not like Russian roulette kind of action. But yeah. Ooh. So uh, mm, the bloody footprints was weird because like he's astral projecting, but he's leaving footprints. Right. That was a little, that was a little strange. Yeah. Well, I think it's supposed to be like spooky. Like he managed to become an apparition enough to leave anyway. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So I'm guessing the implication here is that I could be wrong. I don't know because, you know, it's a continuing thing in the episode. That's why we had the advisor at this point. Like he puts the gun up to his head and then pulls the trigger several times and it's yeah. all click, 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 click. So to me, that seems like maybe like he grabbed the gun to kill himself like we assume like especially when he comes into stan's room like oh crap he's gonna kill stan's right like he no, blames but him he was for not something. planning to he was planning to kill himself yeah 
And so, but then like, apparently he tried to do it, but then all the bullets were gone. And that's when he had the realization like, oh, Stan's is right. But like, that's not one, that's not the best plan to do that because then it's going to make you look super guilty when they find you dead by suicide and your wife also dead in the place. And then your son was recently killed and all these other people that are, you know, tangential to you have been killed recently. But then also that kind of goes a little beyond the whole astral projection thing of like, all the bullets are gone from your gun as well. Or the gun's just not working. I don't think it's, there's no bullets in it. I think it's, he's like preventing it from working. Well, even that then is like beyond astral projection. Cause like, yeah. how is he stopping the gun from working? I mean, he has very strong astral projection. That, that your rationale there that like the gun is not working will make more sense here very shortly. Uh-huh. But it does, it, it still seems also weird because then, like, still, that's not like, you know, like, like a cartoon. He's got like a little finger in the in the hole blocking the bullets from coming out. Like, the gun is obviously not firing at all. Like, the bullets are not, you know, igniting or whatever you call it to like shoot out of the barrel. So something's going on. But yeah, that, yeah. I thought that was weird too. Again, it's like all the superpowers, right? You get all yep. the superpowers. So. Yeah, well, he's mastered the art, <laughs> <laughs> he has mastered it completely. Yeah. So then Callahan leaves Stan's room and he heads down the hall and he still got his gun and he goes into Rappo's room and Rappo's like, I've been waiting for you. And Callahan accuses him of killing his wife. And he's like, that's right, sir. I did. And the boy too. And Callahan pulls out his gun, cocks it. And then Rappo says, come on, killer Callahan, get some, do it. And then Callahan fires several shots, which do go off, but they all like, go into the wall above Rappo's head. And Rappo's like, you can do better than that. But Callahan tells him that he's going to suffer like the rest of them. And he leaves. So yeah. using my theory that like he took all the bullets out of the gun, I'm kind of like, well, so he reloaded like on the way in the hallway. But then if we're using your description, then that does make more sense because the bullets are in there. But for some reason, the gun won't fire. Right. But then now it will. Now so it will sure fire, but now he can't hit him. So he's, yeah. he's got some control over the gun somehow. Yeah. Well, I, I took this part as that Callahan himself. Yeah, I think he is shot, aiming high yeah, because he, he's he trying shot to scare high him. Because, yeah. Because he's like, you're this. Yeah, that would be too easy for you. Yeah. To go off that way. So, which might have been Rappo's plan, possibly because like obviously Rappo is not happy with his life. No. And so if Callahan did kill him, then obviously Callahan's going to go to jail, right? Right. Military, so that'll ruin what's left of his life after he right. killed his wife and, and then, kid, every, and so. then stands is like you know, blistered and gross for the rest of his life. <laughs> um, sort of, gross. sort of like the dude in Miracle Man, right? <laughs> the, the bad burn guy, and then the other guy got wood chipped, <sighs> and yeah, then oh. Draper got drowned. So, and then and Aiken, you know, uh, yeah, Aiken was the wood chip, he's okay, the wood yeah. chipper dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that could have been Rappo's plan to begin with, like to get him to kill him. And then who knows? We don't, I find don't know. Out. We don't find out. So Mulder and Scully arrive and Callahan tells them that Rappo wanted him to kill him, but he stood down. And so then Mulder runs to Rappo's room and Callahan hands Scully his gun and says that he's done here. And he basically is just like, I'm finished. And in the room, we see Rappo is like lying down and his eyes are fluttering. So like he's doing the astral projecting again. And Scully thinks he's having some kind of seizure, but Mulder doesn't think so. And so he runs out and Scully calls for a nurse. 
And so Mulder calls for General Callahan. He's like running down the hall. And then Mulder sees Callahan in the elevator just as the door is closed. And he watches the little elevator thing and it like goes down probably quicker than it should. And it ends up in the sub basement. Yeah, I thought we were going to get some ghost in the machine action here. Yeah, I did too. I thought the elevator was going to crash, but it doesn't. And then when it opens, Callahan can't get any of the buttons to work. So he steps out and then he tries to go through an exit door, but it won't open either. And then he hears Rappo say, killer, come on, killer. And the pipes burst overhead and they like spout steam into the room. So it's like all hot and steamy and you can't really see. And so Callahan moves towards the other side of the room, but he ends up at like this chained fence and it gets harder to see as steam fills the room and he sees the silhouette of a figure and it rushes at him and slams him against the fence. <gasps> so there's a little shadows action too, a little Howard Graves going uh-huh. on. Here. Yeah. yeah, we're just, we're just getting all the hits. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, someone watched some X Files episodes where they wrote the script. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about why because, I, yeah, that's exactly true. <laughs> so Callahan manages to get into another room, and it's the hydrotherapy room. Mm-mm. And then more pipes burst in there, and Callahan screams because he's getting burned by all these steamy. Like the uh, apparently every pipe in this place is just a steam pipe because yeah, they're all bursting steam and blowing pipe. steam. Yeah. <laughs> we need a lot of steam in this building. So we got, we need theme, right? And then like this figure appears and it rushes at him and boom. And then we cut to Rappo and he's in bed and he's all doing his eye fluttery thing. So he's getting his, 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 his psycho murder on. And then Mulder comes down to the basement and he's calling for Callahan. And then he finds Callahan. He finally opens the door and he finds Callahan on the floor. And then Rappo's apparition throws Mulder across the room. So there goes Mulder across the room and then we see stands and he's going up some stairs and the stairway's got his cane he's like oh he's like clink 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 just climbing up some stairs and then callahan gets to his feet and the apparition hits him again and sends him flying so everyone's just getting whacked by invisible people flying across rooms yep yeah and then Scully's with the nurse. And so like, you know, they're with Rappo who looks like he's having a seizure and they inject something into him probably to like some kind of sedative or I don't know what you inject into somebody who's having a seizure. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that works. I mean, if they um, think he's asleep, I would have maybe reject him with something to wake up. Right. But yeah. We don't know what they're injecting him with or what the effect is supposed to be. All we know is that it's not working apparently. And then Stans enters the floor where Rappo's room is. And the nurse and Scully step out of the room and we see Stans kind of slips in behind them. And Scully hears the door closed. So she turns around and she sees Stans in Rappo's room and he's actually like kind of looking at her and like he locks the door. And Scully tells the nurse to get the keys and then yells at Stans to open the door. But we see Stans like he just ignores her and he takes a pillow and he presses it over Rappo's face. Yeah. We don't actually see Stans slip into the room because... I don't right. think he could have because like they are literally like four steps away from the door because when Scully hears a noise, which I think is him locking the door, she turns and she takes four steps. I counted them and she's at the door. And then also, if you count the scene, you see them walk out, they talk and then we hear the click and then Scully turns up. That is like five seconds. So like in five seconds, this dude who can like barely walk managed to slip into a room without them seeing him, even though they're only like four steps away and lock the door. I don't think that happened. It's very similar also to what happened with the mail in the slot because like the mailman puts the mail through the slot. And then if we're assuming that Roach opens the door, like he like slips in super fast and the uh-huh. couch is down for the kids. To, like, it's just like 
timing issues, but again, yeah. So, yeah. Also, the patient's doors can apparently be locked from the inside. That doesn't seem like a really good idea. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that yeah. is. And then we're going to see Scully trying to get in, right? We're going to, you kind of see it here, and then later we're going to see it too. And I know she doesn't like to shoot her gun unless it's like shooting Mulder or like it's needed for the plot. But in all my years of media consumption, I have learned that bullets are a really good skeleton key if you really want to get into a room. So she could have like shot the door. Yeah, I don't know how real um, that is. <laughs> I don't know how real it is either, but it's on TV and in it movies. It is on so, TV, yeah. And this is this is TV. But they don't want her to get in the room, so they can't yeah. do that. That's true. Yeah. Although I do want to say, like, I gave Scully, like, I was like, you can shoot the bad guy. It's okay in DPO. And then, like, in Clyde Bruckman, she actually does just shoot the yeah, bad she guy. Yeah, she does. Well, she shot, her. she had, she has shot two <laughs> bad guys because she, she killed what's his face in Lazarus because he killed her ex boyfriend. Right. And then she shot Mulder, right? Yes. And then she shot the killer dude in DPO. So she has shot some people. In Clyde Bruckman, yeah. Yeah. She has. Yeah, but yeah, oh, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said DPO. My apologies. Yeah, yeah. Clyde, and the DPO was the one where I was yeah. like, you can shoot the bad guy, Scully. It's yeah. okay. And then the very next episode, she literally does. So she yeah. listened to me is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also I haven't edited too shy yet. So we'll see how much of our, see how much of our fighting stays in. Oh dear. And... Well, it wasn't fighting. It was you being very aggressive about how you hated this thing and me going, no, I don't agree with you. It's not bad. Yeah. And actually I figured out why it wouldn't work the way you said you wanted it to. Cause like the whole point is that like, well, it doesn't work the way they did it either, but we don't need to re-argue that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's just because, like, <laughs> if you're thinking, if she had the gun and lost it, you'd be thinking about the gun. And they were trying to keep you not thinking about the gun because. But they did make you think about the gun because they showed her putting it down. But I you mean, didn't I realized even they had, see it that they, first time you watched it. I mean, I realized it. They, they had to. Well, yeah, you don't see a lot of things the first time you watch things, though. We've, we've yeah. But that. I mean, the point is you're not really thinking about, oh, there's still a gun in play. You're thinking about. But no, about, they, but they. They made they had they had to show her putting it down because otherwise it'd be like, well, how did she get the gun? Right, exactly. So, but then, like I said, the reason why they used it was it like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I still. I think mean, it works. what 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 <laughs> might what here, here's what might have worked better is if she had her gun drawn right, and then when she saw her on the floor, she set it like on an end table instead of setting it down after she had already tended to her. And set it down when she went into the bathroom. Yeah, maybe. Because then that would make more sense because then there's an urgency to it. I mean, I realize she's trying to like get stuff to save her, but that's not as urgent as like, oh my God, there's a person there. Right. Who's you know, choking to death would, on goop. So. And, Mulder, and Mulder would have his gun. Right. And so it's not like you're totally, but like you're alone now and you set your gun down to go look in the bathroom for stuff like that. Just uh, put it in your holster. But <laughs> like you come in with your, your, your guns in your hand, you see someone, you're like, oh my God. And you set it down on the end table. Your partner's still there with a gun. So that's cool. Right. And then you help the person and then go to the bathroom and forget the gun. That makes more sense. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I just hated that. So. Yeah, I know. I know you uh, hated it. I think everyone's going to know that you hate it. I don't think that's going to be yeah. unclear in any way. So I think you're good. Yeah. I think you're covered. Maybe I'll just take this little cut of audio and just slip it in to the uh, episode since I haven't edited it yet. You certainly Addendum. can. Addendum. Nick came up with an even better idea. And Tori's still thinking it works fine. Like it works fine. But Tori's not a good judge of episodes. She's blinded oh. by nostalgia and love. I mean, anyway. I do love the show. So that is definitely <laughs> a thing that I'm sure colors my perception. But yes. All right. <laughs>
So then we're back in the sub-basement, and the apparition is attacking Callahan, and then it just disappears. And then all the steam magically, I guess all the pipes are empty now because the steam clears away too. So all the building steam is gone too. Mm -hmm. Darn it. Not going to have any steam. Sorry. And then they need a lot of... They need a lot like of steam. A steampunk ship. They do need, yeah. Steampunk they, ship up some, in yeah. here. Yeah. And then Mulder rushes over to Callahan and he's like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm okay. He's got some blood on his mouth. So, and then we see Stan and he's like, all right, good. I'm done smothering this dude. And then he turns and sits on the bed and kind of like Scully's just like watching through the door. Like, oh my God, I just watched someone kill somebody and I didn't go in. But yeah, so. And then we see Mulder and he's writing in a notebook and he's eating sunflower seeds. He he's is. Mulder. And his voiceover tells us that no physical evidence was found linking Trimble, who is Rappo, to the death of Callahan's wife and son. Officially, the case remains open and the murders remain unsolved. And then we see Callahan in his office behind his desk and he's like writing reports. And Mulder's voiceover continues that Leonard Trimble's family requested his burial at Arlington National Cemetery but the army denied the request. So Trimble was cremated and his ashes were interred at a civilian cemetery in Tannersville, Pennsylvania. And then Mulder tells us Leonard Trimble's mission was not to kill his enemies, but to shatter their lives, to keep them alive and to suffer the pain that he felt, to see the view from his wheelchair, which things to say about that. And Mulder says that sometimes amputees will feel phantom limbs, is it not possible that one could develop a phantom soul, a malevolent psyche that took its revenge on those he blamed? Isn't that kind of the definition of a soul? It's a phantom soul. Like you have a soul and then you have a phantom soul. <laughs> Detached from your body, apparently. Okay. And then Stans, we see Stans go into Callahan's office and he hands him some mail and he's no longer wearing the plastic guard on his face. I mean, he still has the injuries and the burns, but he's no longer like wrapped in plastic probably because maybe he's healed enough so that yeah exactly the the air right the air isn't gonna like cause infection or damage anymore so he is healed so it's obviously been some time and they share a look and then stan turns and leaves because obviously callahan knows what stans did but clearly stans was not arrested for it in any way or anything Mm -hmm. and we follow stans as he pushes a mail cart through the hall and Mulder's voiceover continues telling us that leonard rapo trimble was a casualty of the gulf war and he finishes with this long, like, thing. I, I want to call it a diatribe, but that's not quite right. But it's basically like, it was war that destroyed Leonard Trimble's body, but his wounds went deeper than the loss of his limbs. What destroyed those parts of him that made us human beings? Those better angels of our nature. I cannot say. And then we fade to black as Stans pushes the cart down the hall. So anyway. Mm-hmm. So this episode was written by John Shebon, and he actually became a staff writer for the X-Files during the season. So this is his first episode that was credited to him specifically. He will write 20 episodes, and then he's actually the co-creator of The Lone Gunman, and he'll write six episodes for that. And then he'll go on to work with his friend Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad. And he wrote eight episodes of Supernatural as well. Well, and he also works with his friend Vince Gilligan on The Lone Gunman. And by co-creating The Lone Gunman, we should, because The Lone Gunman actually are created by Morgan and Wong, but we mean the show. The Lone right, Gunman. the show The Lone yeah. Gunman, yeah. Yeah. 
with Vince Gilligan and was Spotnitz part of the Lone Gunman? I forget, or was he off doing something else? At that I time? do not remember. Yeah, but... I know Spotnitz. I think is part of Millennium. That would make sense. But I forget if he's part of the Lone Gunman. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, but he'll write six episodes of that, and then he did write eight episodes of Supernatural as well. So I'm curious which ones. I didn't look it up, but oh. I'll probably look it up when we get further into the X Files and I figure out more what Shimbon because I feel like this is his first one. It's a it's a little rough, buddy. It's a little rough, but I feel like he's probably going to get better. So once I get a better handle on like his writing style, then maybe I'll look and see which episodes of Supernatural he wrote. Okay, maybe they're ones you've seen or you know, what, like sixteen seasons, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I only watched like the first six. So so, except for the musical, I did watch that. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot to uh, critique. But aside from that and from some directing stuff we mentioned earlier, the big thing that sticks out to me in this is the special effects choices they made, like in the sandbox, when like we t- you talked about how like there was someone they actually got like one of the, you know, the crew to be in the sand and then jump out and they CGI'd it to make it. It looks like the Sandman is jumping out of the sandbox to get him like it's like a sand dude, like, oh, I'm a Sandman going to get you. And then when they're in the basement, it's not that like. Like, you would think, like, if you were, like, an invisible man or something like that, like, you would see, like, negative space in the steam, right? Because there's, like, a hollow space where there should be a body, but there's not. He's actually, like, a figure made of steam moving through the steam, so he's, like, steam man. So it's kind of a weird choice, because I would think you would think maybe it would be negative space as opposed to making him be a sand person and a steam person. And a water person in the pool. He's kind of like a water person. Mm-hmm. I think so, it's just meant, yeah. I mean, that's just how they're visualizing him with the elements kind yeah, of around it's just, him. It's just but, kind of weird. Yeah. So, yeah. And then this episode is like super like, go for, go for, go for. But like every time we see Rappo as like a phantom, when he's not like Sandman or Steam Man or Waterman, he's dressed in olive drab, not in desert tan, despite it being in a Gulf War thing. And he looks like an extra from Platoon. He's wearing like, like old timey, like, like Vietnam War style, like clothing and helmet and stuff. So I guess that's just what people expect to see when they see the word soldier or something. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I do. I was thinking about this and I mentioned some of it earlier after, after I saw the episode, it was made some notes. I took a shower and then in the shower, I had some thoughts and I've kind of mentioned most of them in the episode as we've gone along. But one thing I was thinking about was because like his big thing is that he's taking away their families. Right. Cause like, you know, Aiklin and Stans both had their families killed in like arson fires, apparently. And then like were prevented from saving their families or whatever. Right. And then apparently he wasn't able to prevent Aiklin from jumping in a word chipper. So must have been like not in a trance at that time or something. Wasn't expecting that one. But then he doesn't do the arson stuff with Callahan. But then also like killing Draper is part of his thing to get to Callahan. And I'm like, are we supposed to think like he and Draper are having an affair? Cause like she's, or just like, cause like she's his adjunct, right? She's like his personal assistant or something. So it just seemed like, like she was a weird, she was a weird choice. You don't think he thinks she's part of the system and he was just targeting her specifically. Well, he didn't target anybody else as part of the system though. He was targeting like individuals directly and taking like their family and loved ones away. But then like, he also takes Callahan's wife and son away, but then he also takes her. And so right. I was like, like, is that just because like she works with him? I that, that she seemed an odd one out in the whole storyline of like what he's doing. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. 
can't say that she's directly responsible for him. You know, he seems to be picking up like, cause like we don't know. I mean, Aikland is apparently a staff sergeant, so he would have been, I guess a higher up and maybe in the Gulf war also, but then obviously stands as a Lieutenant Colonel. So he's a higher up and then Callahan as a general. Right. And so, I mean, we are like four years out at this point from the Gulf war. So if there's been like some promotion since then or not, but obviously they, you know, they were like his commanding officer sort of. Right. And yeah. so, but like, but her involvement just seems weird. I think they did it. Here's my theory. I think they did it because they wanted to show someone in a bikini. I mean, she's not wearing a bikini, but like in she's a wearing suit. a bathing suit. Yeah, she's wearing a bathing suit. But then also, they do the like we get the locker room scene when she's like taking her hair out of her bun and she's starting to like unbutton her thing and then we cut away. But like when she does that, when she reaches up to get her hair out of her bun, her shirt lifts up and so you can see her tummy. And I'm like, I don't think like dress regulation shirts are that short so that when you raise your arm, your torso is exposed. That doesn't seem. That seems like some male gay stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, it didn't strike me as, like, super weird that she was killed. I think it's one, pool murders are cool. If you're writing a sci-fi show, they seem to think that. Locker rooms are always creepy, so that's a good one. I did think maybe she and Callahan were having an affair just because they have that exchange. But then he does kind of tell her to, like, go home and get rest and we'll deal with this tomorrow. So maybe it doesn't really seem like that's actually where that I mean, it could be that Rappo assumed they were. And maybe, so yeah. yeah. Maybe I mean, he just thought just, that. She seemed the odd one out when we get through the whole story of, like, what's happening, right? Right, yeah. No, I can She see seems that. the odd person out of, like, why was she targeted? Yeah. I guess they just needed someone else, like, in the Another murder to, to like, yeah, yeah to and, facilitate like, we, problems. Because otherwise Mulder and Scully would have been kicked out, right? And so they needed somebody killed. Yeah, because, yeah, because there's no one else. Nothing else happens at the facility. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, they would have been gone. But yeah. It's only it's... When we, we get the fingerprints on her neck and shoulders is what turns Callahan into thinking something is going on. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, she just seemed like an odd one. Yeah. They also, they they do two gross things. One, I noticed when we were watching, well, when I was watching, because I, I looked at the credits, which I'm trying to do more often because we keep missing stuff. They do credit a woman, Beatrice Zellinger, as Burly Nurse, which is not a cool title to, like, they could just credit her as nurse and they call her Burly Nurse. That's rude. And then the other thing was that, Tori, you and I kind of talked about something kind of in between uh-huh. sections. Yeah, well, because we, we up- kind of came up with, we were wondering about the actor who played Rappo because he's shown as mm-hmm. like a quadruple amputee. And so you yeah. had assumed that he was that he really- was actually a quadruple amputee because it looks like, I'm like, this is 1995. Like that looks super real. Like I did not think how they, like considering how some of their other effects go a lot of the times, I'm like, that's real. He is a real, like, congratulations. You got a quadruple amputee to play this role. Awesome. That is great. Turns out, not no and i was more cynical because i was like there's no way that guy's really a quadruple amputee they did not get somebody because that's just not how casting in the 90s was so i was like no he's not and they didn't no because we looked him up and like he is i forget his name now but like yeah he is very much like he has all his limbs and yeah i don't know how they did the effect but yeah it is his name is his name is ian tracy Tracy, and he has had a career well into the 2000s and you can see pictures of him on imdb from his other roles and he's got arms and legs i mean i'm assuming he has real legs and not you know prosthetic legs but he definitely has real arms 
So, so yeah, it is a shame that they didn't hire someone who was really. But also, I am amputee. I am super impressed. I know because the effects are really good. Yeah, yeah, it is really especially good. the arm stuff. The leg stuff you can kind of fake because I was going back when we were checking. I was going back, and I think he's got one of those solid bottom wheelchairs. Uh huh. You know, so you can hide the legs, kind of thing. But like the scenes of him like lying in bed with like you know his amputated arms and stuff. Like, I cannot figure out how they did that. They did whatever, how, what did they did? They did a freaking good job, which is like, yay, you did a really good job, but also you didn't like, that's gross. Shit, you should have hired a disabled should've person hired to play the who, role. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, but he's Ian Tracy, was born on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. He's a Canadian actor. He's been in lots of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I assume, I just assumed that he was a quadruple amputee and turns out he's not so that's kind of disappointing yeah that it is they couldn't find someone you know to do that or they didn't so. try <laughs> which is probably yeah i mean i admittedly you know i imagine the percentage of actors who are also quadruple amputees is probably not high because your your roles are limited right but it's not like they always get people who are actors to do roles. I mean, this is kind of a larger thing. So you probably want someone who's acting, but I think majority of people could probably handle it. So like I get it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, it would have been nice if they had, unfortunately they did not. Yeah. But yeah, the Burley nurse thing too is kind of like, it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't think Burley is like the most nasty adjective, but yeah, it's, it's a little odd. No. Well, I mean, if it was like a big, like it was a male nurse, you were like, it's the Burley nurse. Cause like the big hulking dude, like with maybe even like a little like old timey, like muscle man mustache. Right. He's the Burley nurse. It's like, Oh, that's funny. He called him Burley nurse. But like, it's a woman like, come on, dude. You could just said you could just, it wasn't like there were multiple nurses and you had to distinguish them. There's like one nurse credited in the episode and you could just said nurse. And we actually don't know which one she is because there's actually two different nurses we see in the episode. So I don't even know which one's the Burley. I wouldn't be able to pick. I wouldn't be able to knowing that she's the Burley nurse. I really couldn't tell you which one she's supposed to be. Right. So they were probably trying to distinguish, but who knows? Maybe she's the one who was like, leading Mulder and Scully to the room because she was a little more surly, but that's not the same as Burly. No, I think they were like, she's mannish, and so we'll call her Burly. Because, yeah. Yeah, Either way, it's just gross. You should have done that, X-Files. Don't do that. So. Ratings, ratings, (laughs) ratings. Yes, I think this is actually my least favorite episode of season three so far. Hmm. Trying to go through season three in my head. Yeah, least favorite for sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's got some problems. It's, you know, not the most entertaining. I was excited to see Willie Garson and I actually watched this like a couple days after he passed away. So it was kind of like weird timing again, which seems to happen a lot with this podcast, just like in terms of when we do things. I'm always like, whoa. Oh, um, are we killing people? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, so I was like, oh, Willie Garson, yay. Like, I was excited to see him. I think he did a really good job. I think there are some good scenes in it. But like, for the most part, it's a lot. I I get what they were trying to do. But like, I just, you know, I'm not, I get, I get the whole thing. Like, I get it. It's fine. I just, well, one, it's super derivative. It's super derivative. Like I said, it's basically Excelsis Day in a. I mean, it has a lot in common with other X-Files episodes. It has stuff in common with Shadows. It has stuff in common with 
what was the other mm-hmm. one we mentioned there was another one that it's got a lot of stuff in common with yeah um i mean it's fine and the thing is like i've noticed that this season they do tend to like redo similar ideas in different ways and like try and present different you know things which i think is fine there's nothing wrong with that but i just didn't find this one super entertaining well if you do it better then that's good right because if you can like improve upon an idea it's just Mm -hmm. it seems like whenever they redo ideas it seems like it's diminishing returns every time they do that yeah i don't know if every time but this time i definitely think it didn't work out super well just wasn't you know and some of the stuff was disturbing but not in a like oh that's paranormal and creepy just like you know i don't want to watch that (laughs) i don't want to think about a guy in a wood chipper no thank you yeah i think i'm gonna give it a four a four okay so it does match your least as you gave the blessing way of five which was your previous yeah i mean it's definitely my least favorite so far and i think this is one that i definitely would not re-watch or like seek out again Okay, well, I was thinking about giving it a four, but if you're giving it a four, I feel obligated to give it a three. So <laughs> okay. I have to yeah. go lower. We have to stay on brand. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I'll go with three. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still, for me, that's actually higher than the Blessing Way because I get Blessing Way at two. I mean, I think they're, those are different reasons for giving those numbers. Yeah, they are. Yeah, very different episodes for sure floaty soliloquies no thank you so <laughs> although we do get some of that like Mulder voiceover at the end that's very flowery yeah. and like Mulder, i'm making well, a point well, the, Mulder's voiceover seems he does that when like we don't get Mulder voiceovers often we've got them only like maybe two or three times i think when we get those chris carter is like Mulder, you are my you are my muse and like totally channeling his like flowery language chris carter didn't so. write this one but it is very much like no, i'm making but, a point about the, yeah but ravages they, of war and all the writers I, know all the writers know i bet you know i'm gonna get in good with chris carter i'm gonna write me some flowery language <laughs> in my first script got him. well it worked because he wrote 19 more episodes so didn't hurt no. him did not hurt him i do expect his next episodes will be better because this definitely feels like i'm testing the waters and i'm gonna see what to, what to do <laughs> make mm, it work that but water is 198 degrees be mm-hmm. careful yeah that is so. my theory but we'll see i mean that might be proved wrong all right i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios hashtag really just a bedroom closet that's right we made this and be sure to join us next time as we rewatch the x-files season three episode eight i forgot how to say it oubliette oubliette and try to figure out if the truth truth is is still out there. there.
Anyway. Are you still there? I am still there. Okay. I forgot where we left off. <laughs> okay. And then I also can't remember whose turn it is. So I guess we I left off. Mine. At the, I guess we left off at the note. Yeah. So and Mulder and see, Scully so, leave. Yeah. I do. Oh, never mind. I don't. I, I, I don't actually. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so never mind. 